Welcome to another episode of The Lanyard, the podcast that goes deep with change makers, business leaders, and community builders. Here's your host, Ben Hanton. Welcome to another episode of The Lanyard. Today we're going to talk with somebody from my hometown. Marcus Malin is here. Marcus, I got to tell you, you've got the honor of being our 52nd show. I set a goal for this show when we started to get 52 episodes done in a year. And so you are the last episode of season one and uh, made the goal. So, Wow. What an honor. Last but not least, I'm guessing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we will, you know, I haven't really figured out what season two is going to look like yet. I've got some interviews lined up. My work schedule has really, really gotten busy lately, but that doesn't mean the podcast is going to change much. I think I'm going to be doing a lot more batch recording, meaning like I might just block off a couple of days and knock out a month's worth of, worth of podcasks ahead of time. Yeah. So, sure, but anyway, yeah, thanks plan for those, plan those ahead of time, right? Yeah, that's what I, you have to do that anyway, because what happens is otherwise you become kind of a slave to the, the thing that's supposed to be fun. If you're always chasing like who's going to be on in two days, you'll never find anybody. You right. you got to plan it out a, at least a couple of weeks in advance. Sure, sure, understandable. You had an interesting encounter here at the beginning of the podcast. You had uh, somebody I was just on the phone with, and then he had to go to talk to somebody else, and then it was you. Apparently, he was talking to, and the life of a commercial real estate agent, I guess, <laughs> huh? On the phone all the time. Yeah, we seem to be on the phone a lot. That's uh, we kind of live and die by the by the cell phone and by the minute most of the time. And- yeah. Just trying to have conversations with folks that might be involved in projects. And uh, I don't get down to Yankton a lot, but every once in a while I want to do it. I usually call Dan and see what he's got going on. So, Yeah, well, we'll get into some commercial real estate. I want to hear about some of the projects you've been involved in. But I think before we get too far, we should start back in the hometown. So we both are Webster Bearcats. Mm-hmm. You're a bit younger than me, like 11 years younger, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I had your mother from as my first grade teacher. Yeah. And I recently had the pleasure of serving your mom beer at one of my beer <laughs> tastings. So that was pretty cool. She always likes to bring up uh I mean you're you're not even close to the oldest uh class that she would have had, but she always likes to bring up what all her former students are doing, which would range in age of I don't know, probably mid forties to gosh, probably some kids in high school. Yeah, right. Early high school, right? right. So she always brings up, you know, there's huge variety, you know. Everyone's in different places, but kind of cool that you were able to go back and. and yeah, I was in Webster recently, and I had my wife with, and I introduced your mom, and I said, "This is my old teacher." And then I was like, "Wait, she's my former teacher, not my old teacher." <laughs> she probably called you out on that. I'm she guessing. did immediately. Yeah. yeah, not surprising. So tell me why you are not doing what you're doing in Webster. Neither am I. Why aren't you there? Well, I specialize in commercial real estate, and so the. The main difference is that uh, we don't sell houses. I don't want to get involved in any kind of housing sales. Usually that line is crossed at a fourplex and lower. If you beg me to go sell your house or buy a house, I may get involved. But more than likely, it's just not what I know how to do. And so when we talk commercial real estate, really the main business center in the state is Sioux Falls. And we do get involved in a lot of different projects around I'll call it Eastern South Dakota, but I, I don't know how many commercial properties trade in a town of Webster yeah. a year, but it might be one or two. Um, they're probably pretty small. So, you know, I make a, a little bit of money on a transaction and 
Gotta have I would, lots of uh, transactions. I'd go, I'd go hungry uh, very quick <laughs> if I was in Webster. I wouldn't be able to buy any Ben's beer, that's for sure. But more than likely, <laughs> when you were a middle schooler or high schooler, you didn't say, you know what I want to do? I want to be a commercial real estate guy. Not at all. Not at all. Nope. What was the thought of what you were going to be? Uh, I thought that I would be a lawyer, to be honest with you. I had interest in... I had interest in law, interest in politics. I know we've talked a little bit about that. In the oh past. yeah! By the way, it's impeachment day here in yeah. I've kind of United been, States. I was I was looking at the TV earlier in my office, talking to a few coworkers about what that process is going to look like. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, anyways, I I was interested in law and politics, and like a lot of kids that are interested in that, I went to USD and thought maybe that would be the path, but I wasn't quite sure. I had really good advice growing up. I, I thought it was good advice at the time from Tom Sanis, who you, you probably know. Yeah, he was actually my mom's boss for quite a while at, yeah. at the law office she worked at. Tom told me one time, I don't remember, I was maybe a sophomore or junior in high school, and he told me, Marcus, the people that go to law school, the ones that get A's become professors. They go teach law. And the ones that get B's become politicians. <laughs> Once you get C's and D's, become the best lawyers. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I always kind of thought about that, and I thought, I don't know. I, I'd probably be the the C or D part, and I don't really know if I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, one of my buddies in town here was a lawyer for, I suppose he's in his 50s now, and he was a lawyer up until the last couple of years, and then he actually changed jobs and, and ended up going into a field that your dad's you know, an investment guy. Mm -hmm. And when you, everybody kind of wondered like who leaves the law profession and why would you? And he was saying, you know, I'm trading my time for dollars and I can't scale myself more than I am now. So if I wanted to make more money or grow my business, I needed to either work more hours or raise my prices. I was, he wasn't set up in a firm that, you know, was taking on lots of associates and trying to build people up through the ranks through growth that way. Mm -hmm. And so he got out because he wanted to make more and do more. Yeah. I don't blame him for that at all. I, it's interesting. Uh, the field I'm in now, commercial real estate, we're, we're small potatoes in Sioux Falls and in South Dakota in general, but I meet a lot of different brokers in much bigger markets, Houston's, Chicago's, LA's when we go to conferences and Several of them that I've met are former lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> they'll they'll because they'll they're the ones that will be reading these leases and negotiating them on behalf of clients and and working deals. And at the end of the deal, they'll see that you know they put in X hours and made X amount of money. And there may be a broker that put in X hours and maybe made more money. Yes, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. So <laughs> it's I, I don't personally know. Well, I guess there's a few guys that are kind of in the development commercial real estate world in Sioux Falls, but. It's Fairly common around the country for people to leave that profession. Yeah. So you decided to go off to USD. And even there, though, you probably didn't think I was going to be in commercial real estate. No, I'd never really even heard of that as being a, being a profession that people go into full time because it, it really doesn't exist outside of Sioux Falls in the whole state. Sure. Yeah. So you become like a social media guy for a while. I kind of, when you first popped up on my radar, I think you were. An intern doing some social yeah. media. Yeah, I was out in Pierre for a summer for the Bureau of Information and Telecommunications, which was an interesting summer. But I really enjoyed it and learned a lot being out in Pierre. So again, it goes back to you know political interest, and I learned a lot about state government. 
how that works. But then how did you end up getting into economic development? Because you also were then working with the city of Harrisburg, I believe. So to answer your question, you know, when you're a middle schooler or whatever, what do you, what did you want to do? I didn't really know then. I, I thought maybe lawyer. But when I got to be towards the end of high school and in college, I really started to zero in on economic development. And I found that to be very interesting. I, I was passionate about it. Um, still am passionate about it and working with various communities. So uh, my goal as I got kind of towards the later stages of college was to move to a town. I didn't know which town that was and be the economic development director. Well, um, your dad has some background in economic development. I've been in several things that several events where your dad has kind of been representing Webster or trying to help Webster move along. Yeah, yeah, he has. He's been on the board for several years, and and he really enjoys that process. So I'm sure some of it came from him. I don't know if we've ever, you know, we ever had discussions when I was growing up about community growth or economic development. But I'm sure there was some. I'm still interested and somewhat have a stake in what's going on in Webster, right, with my folks there. And he's still on the board, and it it's something that just kind of led into what what I would assume will be a lifelong interest in in growing communities. And I really, I, you know, I would have loved to come to Yankton or, or go to, you know, I didn't really care what that town was, but somewhere kind of in eastern South Dakota or this general upper Midwest region to be to be that person. So how did that go? I found it was a pretty limited uh, opportunity. I guess you could say there's, in most towns, there's only one person that has that, does that job. Everything. So, you know, most towns the size of call it Webster or bigger, and a lot of towns don't even have one. Maybe the county has one. So I didn't really find a lot of opportunity in South Dakota. But the one place I did find opportunity was Harrisburg. They were nice enough to give me an internship, which was a lot of fun. It was a very much a learning experience. Like I said, I interned for the state, and I really learned a lot about state government. But when interning for Harrisburg, I was technically kind of their economic development person or director, but I was technically a city employee. And so attending city council meetings, planning and zoning, parks, I really got to know the uh, how the sausage is made in regards to, to local government. That's an interesting town. I've been selling beer in that area for a while. And as I drive south out of Sioux Falls, I just end up in Harrisburg somehow. Mm-hmm. I, the towns blend together. And I imagine that creates some opportunities and potential problems for a town that size. Yeah, they've had a lot of growing pains, and uh, Harrisburg is, I always reference it, it's, it's kind of like that teenager that uh, grew like seven inches uh, over the summer and didn't really know what to do with himself, but everyone kept looking at him as kind of the, the main athlete now, and yeah. he didn't really maybe see himself as that. <laughs> they've been the fastest growing community in South Dakota for, I don't know, 10, 12 years now, I think. they. I, I don't, I'll probably get these stats wrong, but... Around the year ninety nine or two thousand, there was less than a thousand people in Harrisburg. Wow! You know, today their 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 twenty twenty census might have over seven thousand. So those growing pains are what infrastructure? Yeah, it's all infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, people aren't stressing out about crime and other things like that, are they? No, it's a pretty very, nice little neck of the woods. Very nice town. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's school it's, district has more kids in it than it did. That's always a good thing. Yeah, school districts have are starving for money unless you can show growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should see the. <laughs> it's interesting looking at those Harrisburg growth that growth history over the last fifteen years because it's basically straight up. But all of Harrisburg has pretty much been developed by private investment and folks coming in and building out you know residential subdivisions. 
the commercial basis has followed very slowly. So everyone commutes into town, which is three miles or, you know, they basically blend together, like you yeah. said. So it's very much a bedroom community, which is fine, but they, they're they starting to turn a corner into more commercial development and activity with the school district. And so it'll be an interesting time to see where, where things go with Harrisburg. It's it's fun because now I'm, I interned there, geez, probably six or seven years ago. And then I worked there after college briefly. And then I, uh, before I got in the private sector, and now just recently I got elected to the board, so the Harrisburg Economic Development Corporation board, and so I'll be involved in a lot of those discussions moving forward, which is exciting. Yeah, I kind of wonder about how a town like that still holds an identity, though, because if you are a bedroom community, does anybody have Harrisburg pride? I suppose if your kids are in the school district, yes. Otherwise, this is just a house to me. This is... I love my neighborhood, but I work in Sioux Falls. I identify with Sioux Falls. I go out to eat with friends in Sioux Falls. I go to microbreweries in Sioux Falls. What is the identity of a town like that? Yeah, it's been tough. So they always compare themselves to the other neighboring suburbs, you can call them, of Sioux Falls. And Brandon went through this in the 80s and 90s and has kind of been past it, right? They're a well-established community with a lot of identity. Harrisburg is kind of leading the charge of the T's and the Hartfords, but they compare themselves to, say, Del Rapids, which has an active downtown. It is a nice little community. Harrisburg really doesn't have a downtown, and that's no fault of anyone's. It's just the town never really grew up around a downtown. The commercial activity essentially went out from there, and the residential subdivisions were built away from downtown, and there's really not much of a, there's not a huge business downtown, nothing compared to Yankton, right, or or other towns around the the state. So it's almost like the community's been built over the last 20 years as opposed to some towns like where we're at now, which is well over 100 years of history, right? So Webster, when I grew up, it, the sign on the way into town said there were 2,017 people living there. Now I think the number is down closer to like 1,700. What is going on economic development-wise in a town like that? I mean, you've you've seen what it can do in other communities. Are they just going to continue to fight a losing battle? Webster's a little bit on an island as opposed to some of the maybe towns that could be compared to, I think, within the state just because it's got the county seat. It's got a very strong school district. It's got a little bit of a retail kind of manufacturing base, but that's that's what holds it up. And for that reason, you know, those numbers aren't down to, say, 1,000 or 1,200, right? That's probably to be expected, just a little bit of natural leakage of folks moving to neighboring communities or, you know, the Aberdeens, the Watertowns, the Sioux Falls. But I think that the key to that number is just the there's going to be the folks that leave and there's going to be the folks that come back. But the basis of people that are aging and having to move out of town because of nursing homes or for whatever reason, or they pass away is probably exceeding a little bit of the, the births. Yeah. In town. Right. I, I really think it's broken down right to that, which that's a slow decline. It's a generational thing. That's, that's just, it, although, that's you know, your slow. parents had three kids and none of them live in Webster. My parents had three kids. None of them live in Webster. True. And I have a strong feelings for my hometown. I love visiting there, but I don't know that, any of the jobs are there for any of us to move back right now. Right. And then I wonder about quality of life. So for a lot of people, that's why they probably continue to stay in Webster because they're big fishermen or outdoorsmen. But, you know, I don't know. Is there something there 
to focus on that brings families back. Yeah, it really has to. It really is the basis of your opportunity of employment. And so, what factor? What what sector do you do you work in? And is there opportunity there? Because if not, you got to go find your own. I think one thing about Tom Sanis, you mentioned, you know, he's a big economic development guy up there too. And I think one thing he would say is we really only have an opportunity to get people back to this town, probably don't have an opportunity to necessarily move people here directly without some connection to the town already. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because on a larger scale, you know, I've talked to folks with GOED, Governor's Office of Economic Development. They've said the same thing about the whole state of South Dakota. You know, we're we're much better as opposed to a cold call or a cold advertisement to try to reach someone in Illinois. They're just not going to come. But if they grew up here or if their husband or wife lived here or cousin, some kind of connection to the state, they're much more likely to come back. Right. So that's probably where we need to spend some of the investment dollars is in the the, the connections and to say, hey, I know you're you're gone, but there is a swimming pool project here in this town. Be involved in it. Help us grow this town. And maybe someday, because you were invested in that, you'll want to move back or somebody in your family will want to. I think there's a big opportunity for that, uh, not only with Webster, but all, all small towns around the state. And, and not to disenfranchise folks from maybe not living there, but you can still have a connection without living there. And you can maybe give some investment or you can give some time or you can make some phone calls for some kind of a fundraiser like that. Just by showing a little bit of support, maybe on a social media platform could go a long ways. And I think there's a real presence felt from Webster. I I see it a lot. You know, I see it weekly Uh, in folks that I get connected with that know someone or have met someone that it's spread out throughout the state and around the country. And that's okay. But keeping them involved and keeping them connected to the community of Webster can go a long way for that town. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk about the real estate market and specifically growth in Sioux Falls. We'll be back with Marcus Malin. The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. Hey, Lanyard listeners, it's Brennan and Mandy from Boston Shoes to Boots. Do me a favor and think of something you will not buy generic. For instance, I will not buy generic toilet paper. First of all, ouch. Second of all, they don't tear at the seams. Brennan, what's your example? I will not buy generic mac and cheese. It's not as creamy. They say it is the same, but it's not. Same goes for shoes. Now, we all know how easy it is to buy shoes or boots from big box stores, big online sellers, or a boutique. But are you really getting the quality and customer service that your feet deserve? A proper fit and quality made shoe can go for miles for your feet and your overall health. Wearing shoes too small or large can have long-term consequences. And those shoes that are cute but make your feet hurt all night? Not worth it especially when you're covering up the blisters the next day. Our staff at Boston Shoes to Boots is trained to measure your foot length, arch, and width. Do yourself a favor and invest in your feet by getting properly fitted into a quality pair of shoes. We don't carry cheap because we care. 
That's right. Quality only hurts once. And trust me, we've seen plenty of scary toes that have been crammed in bad footwear for too long. Many times, the effects are not reversible. So invest in your feet, take care of yourself, and go on your next adventure with a great pair of shoes from Boston Shoes to Boots, your footwear experts since 1915. Stop by and see us in the Meridian District in downtown Yankton or see us online at bostonshoestoboots.com. We are back with Marcus Malin. Before the break, we were talking about growing up in our hometown of Webster and about some of the struggles of small-town economic development and opportunities. I can tell you one of the reasons I come back to that hometown area is Pickerel Lake. Do you guys still have a cabin there? Oh, yeah. Yep. It was beautiful to grow up there, and I still attribute it to be one of my favorite places on earth. It's incredible, and it's it's so different than all the other lakes around there. Everything else kind of, we would describe them as like sloughs or lakes that are kind of like, I don't know, there's lots of rushes and vegetation and other things that maybe aren't developed. Picker Lake is kind of like you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's deep. It's long. It's very much developed. I can't afford a place to live on there, that's for sure. Yep, I neither can I. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure... Your your mom, the teacher back in the day, um, they probably got a price that today would sticker shock them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun place. It's interesting being in Sioux Falls now. People, for such a heavy population base in the state of South Dakota, there's no lake or there's no, yeah. there's really no heavy Cova summer recre- recreation. <laughs> yeah, that, that one doesn't count. So there's about three, op- well, there's really, f- there's three main options people go to and it's pickerel. And it's Okaboji, and then it's down here. Yeah. Lewis and Clark. Yeah, if you're into sailing, you come here. That's for yeah. sure. The thing about Pickerel, though, is it's, that water is always cold. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees out because that lake is so deep and it's spring-fed. Yeah. It's cold. Yeah, it is. Yep. My kids this last summer were standing on the beach and trying to play in there, and I would step foot in there to keep an eye on them. I was like, yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's in July, and I'm freezing my yeah. tail off. Yeah, it's not fun putting a dock in in the spring and taking it out in the fall. <laughs> yeah, I think back to when we dumped jet skis in the water in April. You know, I think mm-hmm. if you're from there, you get used to it. But I moved away, and now I'm in the southern part of South Dakota where it's warm. Yeah, a lot warmer. You can start golfing <laughs> three weeks earlier here. That's right. <laughs> what don't I know about commercial real estate? Oh, man, you well, you're a business owner, so you probably know – a lot more than the normal person, but what uh, what we primarily do is we're we're third party brokers, and I, I I don't I don't hide from the term salesman, and a lot of people do I guess in today's day and age, but I uh, I try to avoid hiding from it because that's what we are, and and we're we're trying to match make buyers and sellers, tenants and landlords in any way we can. And someone asked me yesterday how I go about getting new business. And a lot of times it's, it's being a matchmaker, a professional matchmaker, knowing that X individual over here might need some financial advice. I'll connect them with a financial advisor or knowing that this so-and-so might need some opportunity in a manufacturing field, you know, just connecting people in different ways and introductions a lot of times leads to opportunities on our end. There's a lot of networking that's involved in that then. There is, it's, it's not a, uh, it's what I've what I've been told by some mentors, and that I, I I now tell people too is it's an art, not a science. So yeah. 
which is probably why it's a limited industry. Not a lot of folks get into it because there's sometimes not a rhyme or reason for who might come in and buy or lease a building. You might think it's going to be some kind of industry and it might be completely different. The thing about networking is when you're young, when you're in your early 20s and you're trying to show your relevance to the world, networking is fun and it's interesting. Going out, having cocktails, meeting people, having coffees, that's all fun. I'm at an age now, 38, where I don't really want that. I've got a bar if I want to go meet people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if I were to be in that career path, you'd still got to get out there and do it because there's no way to know what's really happening unless you are meeting people. Yeah, you kind of have have to have a beat, kind of have to have an ear to the ground. I called a friend of mine a few weeks ago who is a former reporter for the Argus Leader, and I was I was kind of looking into a potential project, and it's a development opportunity. And I said, really what I'm looking to do here is an investigative journalism piece, but I'm just a broker. I'm trying to connect people. I don't know how to do all this research and and uh, and get into the nitty gritty on it, you know, would you be willing to help? But it's having some of those connections that can that can help you along the way. Yeah. Well, and then I think about what's happening in downtown Sioux Falls, and we've seen these beautiful renderings from the new Sioux Steel development. That whole area of town has just dramatically changed since when I was growing up, and now all of a sudden we've got these, you know, five six story buildings, and we've got breweries everywhere and we've got pedestrian friendly zones. What I tried to explain on this podcast not too long ago is I don't quite understand that world only because I grew up starting in business here where you get money for a down payment, you go to a bank, you get a loan, they loan you on your real estate and give you a little extra money to build your small business. Mm -hmm. And then you look at these things (laughs) and you say, how does a small business person fit into that? Obviously, you can't own land like that or own property like that if you're small. But then even the lease opportunities become challenging. I mean, what is your typical lease? Three years, five years, 10 years? I mean, you're probably not doing one-year leases on a lot of stuff, are you? No, not a lot. No. Yeah. Typical lease, probably three to five years. But on a project like that, I mean, that's a class A. You're you're probably looking at majority of them are going to be 10 plus year leases. I, would I mean, guess. that's daunting for somebody in small business. I didn't know, definitely didn't know what I was going to be doing in three to five or 10 years out, mm-hmm. but they'll have no problem filling them, I assume. Yeah, it'll probably take a little while, but it's uh, it's an incredible project, both public and private. So it'll probably become sort of the new shining star in Sioux Falls, which is always a interesting topic for folks, not only in town and around the state, but more and more in kind of this upper Midwest region, people are interested in what's going on. And when you look to Sioux Falls, the conversation kind of naturally turns right to downtown. So one thing I think that's interesting about how they approach that project, and, and this has happened several times in Sioux Falls, and I think it's something that other towns need to learn from, is they came out with this beautiful rendering of what it could look like and they described everything and then just yesterday then they went for the tax they went to the city and asked for their tax breaks so the rest of us are thinking well we can't finance a project like this unless we get some sort of city tax help or state tax help so we go to them and we ask it but we haven't shown it to them we Mm -hmm. haven't visualized what the project can be they're doing it the other way they're saying like well look all this shiny, beautiful stuff goes away unless you play ball. And I think it's just like organizing their marketing. Pretty strategic. 
isn't it? I yeah. mean, you can break it down and it's fairly obvious what they did, but what maybe the public doesn't understand is, and, and maybe, you know, more business owners would, but the, the person off the street may not understand the upfront cost they have and uh, simply putting all those together. For sure. Because yeah. they what they don't show you is the back-end architectural blueprint plans that they probably have, you know, minimum of $50,000, I'm guessing, maybe into the six figures. Yeah, and a percentage is on the total build-out. Right. Know. So they're they're already writing checks, and they don't have anything to see for a return in quite a while because they haven't even moved to Shelby yet. So a lot of people probably don't understand what, all, what would all go into a development like that. But, yeah, it's very strategic. It's pretty smart, if you ask me. So that's one area of town that's, you know, generating some attention. And Phillips Avenue is always, always on the minds of people because there's outdoor eateries and other things. But are there other areas in Sioux Falls or even in the state of South Dakota that you look at as this is up and coming? This is an area to keep an eye on. You know, I think that a lot of conversation steers right to downtown, but the primary economic driver of the of Sioux Falls and the state of South Dakota is a lot, a lot of it's going to be based around foundation park, which is up in that Northwest part of town. And that's on the corner of, uh, it's on the intersection of I-90 and I-29 and it's not sexy. It's industrial warehouses. It's cold storage, uh, cold food storage and processing. It's industrial manufacturing. It's logistics companies. Like how many square feet of cold storage and other warehousing? There's a few. Uh, so the first tenant or first owner that went in there, I think they it's Wind Chill Project. They built like a 350,000 square foot cold storage facility. And before it was done, they added on, I think, another <laughs> 200,000 square feet. Yeah. You know, so their their vendors are Tyson Foods, Walmart, right? These big companies that need to store food. And it's coming there and getting stored in, as, in a cold storage facility to then get in trucks to come to Yankton to go to Pier, to go to Aberdeen, you know, everywhere, kind of around this whole region. Um, but it's not just them. It's manufacturing. It's uh, it's these heavy industrial properties that when you drive by, you wouldn't think twice about it. But that project started off, you know, several years ago with a lot of different people involved. And I think they've got about 1,000 acres that are under control of uh, Sioux Falls Development Foundation. And governor's office has some involvement in it. Minneaha County. It's a multi-partnership approach. But it's a huge opportunity for for our state to say, if any kind of large user, and when I say large user, I mean anything over, call it 50 acres, the big company wants to come into South Dakota. They maybe didn't have the opportunity before, but they do now, and they could go there. And there's there's a lot of different smaller local organizations that are already located there that are uh, very successful, and it's only going to keep growing. So I, I see a huge amount of growth in that northwest corner. What does a building like that that has how many? Would you say about forty thousand square feet, and then a build on? No, they started with like three hundred and fifty oh, sorry. square feet. <laughs> wrong decimal point there. Um, <laughs> sorry. Right. What does that mean in terms of jobs? So these buildings, like that windchill project, today's day and age of technological advancement. Not much. There's maybe 20 guys. Oh, wow. In that whole, th- it's all technical. Yeah. And, but but guess what? It's a higher skilled job of folks that, that need to get a degree from the DSUs, from the SDSUs, from the Mount Martys of the world that, that they want there because they're not necessarily doing blue collar work. They're following the computers and, and, and doing the different distribution centers 
within the facility to making sure the product is unloaded, offloaded in the proper way. Are they in the city of Sioux Falls? Yeah, that that's so all they, they next to they the city. They do generate some sales tax revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And do and significant property tax. Significant property taxes, right? Yeah. But I mean, majority of those facilities, well, although they are large, I can think of one of the warehouses out there that it was just in the news the other day. They built a two hundred thousand square foot. It's basically a, a warm storage warehouse, and they're 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 just finishing their building and they're adding on another two hundred thousand square feet. I don't know how many guys they're gonna have in there. Probably under twenty. Yeah, just hauling product around. It's just all it's all automated. But today's day and age, these big facilities they don't. They don't have assembly lines of people moving product through. They don't. They don't need a lot of folks in there. They just need a few good workers that know know where things are going and to keep the processes flowing. Are you seeing growth in technology in that town? Like, for instance, high tech jobs. We talk about that instance right there where people are maybe programmers or figuring out logistics, but. The entrepreneurs, when you go to a college campus, everybody wants to develop an app or wants to do something. Are you seeing any of that catch on in any significant way, or are those type of people end up working for a big company like that? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know how much I can speak to that, but if you follow our our mayor at all, um, you would certainly know that technology is a big push in the city of Sioux Falls, which you know then kind of correlates back to. The state of South Dakota, you know, the partnerships that the city and the Development Foundation have connected with DSU on, there's certainly a path for any student with any kind of technological background to come in and be a productive employee in the Sioux Falls metro area. Now, that doesn't necessarily look like someone that's going to go do a, a code, do coding for a new app in some, you know, fun downtown office space. Yeah. Where they, uh, you know, they have their area that they can go take a nap in the afternoon, right? Right. It may be someone that's going to be at a facility like that on the edge of town in a large open warehouse that is controlling processing and robotics moving product in and out. Making sure the servers are up. Correct. It's kind of interesting. When you are dealing with prospective companies that want to come to Sioux Falls or to South Dakota, do some of them ever say, you know what, we're going to another state and here's why? Yeah, we do. So it's interesting. Our company is involved in the former Citibank campus. So that was the big deal back in the, what, the 1980s when Janklo changed the usury Janklo, rates yeah. to allow Citibank to come here and... Huge economic impact on the city of Sioux Falls at that time. I think it. I think it entirely changed the trajectory of the state because it took a state that was almost fully ag based into you know we we have a, a large amount of financial service companies based not only in Sioux Falls but but in the entire state. I guess that's one of the ways you got Denny Sanford rich too, right? Right. right. The biggest so, philanthropist in South Dakota. Yeah, but yeah, it was a huge deal back in the early eighties and. Just like any other industry and organization, Citibank has changed. They don't need as many employees. So I think back in the day, they were at 3,500, 4,000 employees, big call centers, three huge buildings, totaling, I think it was around three or 400,000 square feet of space. Well, it's on the wrong side of town now for where their employees live, right? They all maybe live in kind of in the south part of town and they keep downsizing. So what did they do? They went and bought land and they built a brand new big building right on the south end of town, kind of near Louise and I-229, which leaves their old buildings empty. That's a lot of space to fill, and it's not really a business-friendly climate 
situation. It's not really, we don't have the space situation. It's a labor situation. So although that's a property listing and it's a real estate issue, not an issue, but a real estate opportunity, we really start to dive into labor. And so if someone's even going to come and consider occupying any of that space, they're going to have to talk about where their labor is going to come from. If you look at any of the metrics in Sioux Falls, they're going to find out pretty quickly that their labor is going to have to come from some other company. So rather than developing from within, they're going to Why? Because unemployment is too low? It's just so low. Yeah. 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 I mean, if they have a good if they have a good culture and, and, you know, they're a strong company and they start advertising, they're going to start attracting employees right out of college. But to start off and to get some managers and some more senior level folks, it's, there's no doubt that they're going to come in and they're going to take someone else's employees, which then you break it down to a wage-based problem. And, you know, if X company comes in and pays a dollar more an hour, a lot of folks might leave and go there, but how much support are they going to get from yeah. their, their neighbors? So if they're not coming to you, where are they going? It's a good question. We probably aren't involved in the conversation after they... <laughs> <laughs> they just realize that your demos aren't fitting them. After they stop, after they stop coming there. But I mean, it seems like the Sioux Falls is never going to be Minneapolis or one of these top metros. And so we've really got to find our niche. And and uh, what that means is we don't we don't get upset with those companies or those those groups that that decide they don't even want to give us a look or not to come, that's okay. Because if, if it's based on population base, they're going to go to Austin. They're going to go to San Francisco, Nashville, Raleigh, you know, the up-and-coming cities. They're not going to look at us, and that's okay. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's a Sioux Falls-based problem, but there's a lot of opportunity there too because when you peel back those top two or three layers, there's there's a lot of different companies that, that could be in the mix that could be good fits for, for our region. Well, we talked about when you were in middle school and high school and figuring out what you wanted to do with your life. Now you're in your late 20s. So what are you going to do with your life the rest of the way? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of career left, isn't there? I'm a, I am get in these conversations oftentimes with folks. My, my parents are on the verge of retirement. My, my mom did retire here a while back, but my dad is on the verge of retirement, and I—he's uh, a financial planner, so he should have planned for that, right? Yeah, yeah, no problem. They're they're they've planned for their retirement, Good. that's for sure. Yeah, and I see the expenses in my life simply going up over time, uh, which which happens, and I just I I don't know how retirement's going to look in forty years or thirty years. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's a troublesome thought, and it's something that I think about from time to time. In regards to having a career that you can plan for to someday retire, I don't know if that's going to be the case for the yeah. most of people my age um, or, you know, in between my and your age when they get into their 60s and 70s. So I don't know if that fully answers your question of what I'm going to do when I grow up, but that's at the back of my mind on um, hopefully having a foundation for a successful career, but also a life after a career. I just got engaged, so I'm getting married in 2020. That will be inexpensive, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that expensive. Oh, good. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> We're running the numbers now, and it's uh, it'll it'll be fun. It'll be fun. But, but the, you'll get the tax breaks. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Congratulations so, on that. Thank you. Thank so you. the two of you have you decided that this is going to be your forever home? You know, we. So I I started talking about how I wanted to move to a town to be an economic development director. I never wanted to live in. Sioux Falls, because I kind of thought it. I thought of it as the big city. It's the one that gobbles up all the other small towns. Yeah, it is. Now I've become that person. You're a gobbler. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I uh, I'm not ashamed of it, but it's it is a reality. And 
we talked about my my fiance's from Spearfish. I'm from Webster. We talked about where to get married, and and we said, oh, we're going to get married in Sioux Falls, and that's because we're we're part of that community now, and it's uh, it's becoming a smaller and smaller town every day for us. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know where our forever home is, but it's more than likely in that area. Well, I sure appreciate you coming on and telling your story. It's always good to get to hear from a fellow Webster Bearcat. I'll be up there this, well, it's almost Christmas time here, yeah. so I'll be up Week there away. for... Yeah, the 28th, I'll be up there for some Christmas and have to check in at the decoy bar and oh, yeah. see how the beer is doing and maybe uh, maybe see you up there. Do you have Christmas sub plans up in Webster? Yeah, I'll be up there for Christmas Eve and Christmas, and then I'm going down to actually my folk or my fiance's folks are in Florida now pretty much full-time, so or at least nine months of the year. So we're going on to Florida over New Year's. Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. And Marcus, where can people find you if they want to follow your work? You know, uh, maybe a little bit old school in this regard, but uh, I've got a cell phone. It's on me all the time. 605-228-9744. Love to connect with anyone. Well, thanks for coming on. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Lanyard. And that'll be the start of season two. And we'll talk to you more then. 